Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's read it together as it comes up. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your, body, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is undoubtedly, I don't care which denomination that you're in, which theologian that you love, doctrinally, I know there's areas where I go, hey, this is a spirit-filled doctrine we're teaching on, but what I'm about to say right now, there is across the board, no argument that Romans 12, one and two is an invitation to live as Jesus lived. To be a living sacrifice is that you, Jesus died for our sins out of a heart of radical generosity, but it's now saying, now you live from the same mind that Jesus had that put him on the cross. You live every day from the same heart, from the same mind, from the same reality. Pick up your cross and follow me daily. There's no argument that that's an invitation to live as Jesus lived. He goes on. Well, no, he doesn't go on, I'm sorry. I, I wanna make a cross reference. Go to the next slide. Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Be humbled in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even death of the cross. And in Philippians, he's saying, let, let every believer have this mind. The mind that was in Jesus, the mind that caused him to lay down his life, to be pressed out like an offering, like a grape, like an, like a, like, or like, a, like an olive oil being pressed in the wine press. He's saying, let that also be in you. That you would have the mind of Jesus. That you would not consider your own reputation, but that you would humble yourself and become obedient and carry the heart of a servant to, to serve the needs of the lives and the people around you. He uses this very interesting word. He says, taking the form of a bond servant. I want to say bond servant. A bond servant was not a slave. And in the Hebrew law, some of you guys have heard me talk about this. In the Hebrew law, uh, there was an opportunity that if you were a slave and you have faithfully served the family that, that you, were, you were serving and their days of, of slavery were over, your days of serving were done, the assignment's over. Go start your life. There was an opportunity in, uh, written into the Hebrew law that said this, but if you love your family that you've been serving, and if you love and you consider them your family, that when you become a free man, you can go back to the family and say, I don't want my freedom. I love you and I want to stay in your house forever. And then you would become a bond servant. And it's this idea, like they would actually take the, the servant and they'd come to the doorpost of the house and they would pierce the ear through the doorpost of the house and saying, you are now a part of our family. And it was called like a servant of love. And this is why later on Paul says, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. 
Because what he was communicating was, I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to my own passions and desires and flesh. And Jesus set me free. But as a free man, I love him with such a deep sincerity of my heart and life that I want to become a slave of love and serve Jesus all the days of my life. I am a bondservant. That's what he was saying. And so when it says, let this mind be in you, it says Jesus was a bondservant. He was a servant of love. And, and, and what we have to understand about what he's saying is, is that Jesus' sacrifice, his heart of sacrifice, was not a forced or coerced sacrifice, but a willing one. Jesus was a free man, and he chose to lay down his life. No man takes my life. He offered it freely. <clears throat> this, that is the motivation was love and servanthood. This is, it's interesting. In Psalm 110, it says that in the day of his power, there will be volunteers in the day of his power. The day of his power, once again, just across the board, doctrinally is this. It's the day of the Holy Spirit, the new covenant people. He says this. He says, in the day of my power, that they will become volunteers. Not for slaves or servants, but volunteers. People that says, sign me up. I want to volunteer, to co-labor with Jesus in an end time move of the Holy Spirit. Not because I'm obligated to, but because I get to. There's, you know, when you look at tithes and offerings, one of the things that we have to understand is so many people still teach the tithe through the lens of law. You, you have to bring your tithes and offerings. And I want to set you free from that. Because the reality is, is that the tithe is actually, it, is, uh, is, is, it, it was a obligation that determined your righteousness. Now it is a doorway into the opportunity of free will giving. This is why in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, for God so loves a cheerful giver that does not give out of obligation or coercion, but gives out of a joyful heart and gives out of the abundance of their heart. The tithe is a limitation because you were required to give a tenth, but it was a ceiling. Now it's a doorway. I don't want to give a tenth. I want to give it all. You guys all right? And this is where the covenant has changed everything. Should you still tithe? Yeah, but you shouldn't do it out of obligation. You should be doing it out of the joy of worshiping the Lord and giving, him, uh, giving to him. And this is why I love the goal. I, God, I don't want to just give a tent. I want to give everything. Nothing belongs to me. A sacrifice made by religious obligation is a vain sacrifice. And so I want to, I want to look though, we're, I'm going to show you two things about sacrifice and it says, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. I want to talk about two parts of sacrifice that are kind of really uh, written into this commandment to be living sacrifices. And he says, number one is do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, how many of you guys know that sacrifice is the arena where discipleship happens? It has killing power. In sacrifice, the parts of my vulnerable flesh that are still in the driver's seat of the mind is nailed to the cross. Sacrifice is confrontational. Every place where my flesh is still leading 
the conversation and making the decisions and evaluating the value system of my life, wherever my flesh, my unsanctified flesh is still in leadership, there's an invitation to nail my flesh to the cross and cause it to die so that my spirit would overtake that place of my life and lead from the forefront. Sacrifice has killing power because it crucifies my flesh. And in a sacrifice, I have to evaluate what my highest value is. And in my sacrifice, I have to determine my need. And in my sacrifice, I have to check the condition of my heart. And in sacrifice, I have to evaluate my internal world and go, am I going to follow his leadership? Am I gonna crucify, crucify my flesh? Or am I, going to, uh, am, am I going to protect my humanity and my flesh and my needs and deny the Lord in this moment? And so sacrifice, the invitation to sacrifice is always confrontational and opportunity to crucify your flesh so that the spirit could replace where the flesh was in leadership. Is this making sense? It has killing power. Why don't you go to the next uh, slide? Um, Did you know that Lucifer is the architect of the world's system? Everything, like, what we have to understand is the world that we're living in is not the kingdom of heaven. It's a world that was created and fashioned and, uh, and built around concepts that derive from hell. Competition is actually, now, now mind you, I love sports, so don't, don't come after my sports, okay? But competition in the heart of man or comparison in the heart of man is a demonically derived narrative that most of us live from. Anger, rage, greed, jealousy, all of these things are things that drive our movements and behaviors, but they all come from the playbook of Satan. And so this whole rat race to be better than other people, the pursuit of fame, self-worth that is connected to materialism, and, and, and some, of our, some of our American dreams that are just all about comfort and convenience and the, the glory of self, all of these things are demonically derived, but they, they've come it through, into our minds and they've discipled our way of thinking through an ungodly worldly system. But Jesus shows up in the midst of a worldly system and he says, if you wanna be the first, you have to be the last. If you want the abundance, you have to give everything that you have. If you want, you have to sow. He says, if you want the head of the table, take the lesser seat of the table. If you want to be the greatest, become the least. He says, sell everything that you have and follow me. Let the dead bury the dead and you follow me. Over and over and over, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in the earth, but treasures in heaven. And what he was coming, this idea was he was attacking a worldly system that was created by Lucifer that has been discipling the way that you live and think. And he's saying, actually, that was never my plan for you. It was never my plan for you. My plan for you is that you'd fully trust me and yield your life into my hands and that you'd become radically generous and sow your life in the world and trust me with everything that you are trying to take control of. Sacrifice requires that we deny the systems of the world and come into agreement with the ways of heaven. This is where the renewal of the mind happens. He says, do not conform to the patterns of the world. 
Do not conform your life to the, west, the rest of the way the world does. Guys, this generation, including you, I'm saying if you're alive and breathing, is more vulnerable to the warning of this verse than any generation before you. Because we've never had such visibility in each other's lives to be conformed to their pattern. We have visibility into each other's lives that we never were supposed to have, which causes comparison, which is the thief of joy. It causes us to change our value systems, change our wants, causes us to uh, pursue things that was never in the heart of God. Why? Because we're being told constantly that that's the highest, most important and valuable thing. But he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sacrifice is confrontational and it is, it is confronting every place where our mind has been patterned to the things of this world. Sacrifice confronts areas of our mind and beliefs that are not in alignment with truth. Sacrifice breaks unhealthy attachments to the things of this world. It's confrontational. Go to the next slide. Oh, we'll get there in a second. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Sacrifice stewards love. And when you sacrifice for someone or something, you partner your affections with them, you get God's heart and your mind for them. Sacrifice stewards the mind and heart of God and renews your way of thinking so that you return back to the charge in Philippians chapter two to you also have this mind that was also in Christ that became of no reputation, humbled himself even to the point of death. How many of you want to have the mind of Christ? Secondly, he says, and then, everyone say, and then. It's powerful. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. That word prove literally means to bring evidence into the court of law and to take something that is unknown, a mystery, invisible, and make it visible and make it known. No question, you know, guilty as charged, right? Or innocent, it's bringing evidence into something to say, this is no longer a mystery. Here's everything that you need to know about what just took place. God's ultimate desire, the will of God is his ultimate desire for your life. But what's fascinating about the presentation of, of, of that you would prove what the will of God is for your life is that it's not presented in this verse. The, the Greek word does not present a sovereign will that will happen with or without your involvement. It actually presents a will that requires your denial or approval. How many of you know God is looking to participate in your life to establish his will? He's looking for the yes of your heart. He's looking for participation. And because of that, he's saying, re get renewed in the spirit of your mind and then become a living sacrifice. Get renewed, get confronted until your mind is aligned to Christ. And then you will prove. You will actually bring what's in the spiritual realm and it will manifest in the natural realm. Sacrifice attracts the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit? The will of God cannot be fulfilled by your uh, hands. <clears throat> your hands open the door for his supernatural influence. It's very important to understand is that if, if the dream of your heart is, is to do something for the Lord, and, and, but you're limiting it to what you can do in your own strength, it is not the dream of God's heart. Why? Because the dream of God's heart requires supernatural influence and intervention. 
It requires the participation of the Holy Spirit to do the impossible in and through your life. My desire is that from Oakland, Maine, that all the nations of the world would be touched and that a move of God would break out in Oakland, Maine so significant that nations would be one. Now let me ask you, is that possible by, with, by man's abilities? But is it possible if the Holy Spirit shows up in a small town? This is what I'm saying. We have to see the divine influence of God break in on our lives and on our families to fulfill his will in our life. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then the proof will enter out of the spiritual and into the natural. Your sacrifice opens the door for God to manifest supernaturally in the area of your life. Slide six, sacrifice creates a bridge from the heavenly realms into our natural situations. It invites the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit into your heart and life to influence the outcome. God has a preferred will for your life and it requires his power. There's this idea in scripture um, that you'll hear us say, like, if I bring the sacrifice, you provide the fire. Your sacrifice demands provision. We look at Abraham bringing Isaac and the ram showing up in the thicket. We, 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 we look at Mount Carmel and Elijah. And you guys remember the battle with the prophets of Baal and, and, and there's a plague on the land and there's no water and, 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 and there's no rain. And then all of a sudden Elijah calls a showdown on Mount Carmel and all the prophets of Baal come and he goes, we're gonna build two sacrifices. And then we're gonna say, whoever's God answers by fire is the true God of Israel and, and they will live this day, but the others, will, will their reign over Israel will be ended. And so he makes this challenge and he watches the prophets of Baal go first and they're calling on their God and they're cutting themselves and screaming. And, and, pro, and I, I love, I love this. It, Elijah's like, oh, maybe he's taking a nap. <laughs> Scream louder, wake him up guys. You know, he's mocking them because you don't serve a God who answers by fire. And then, and then when, when it comes to nothing, then Elijah, then, then he says, go get the most precious thing in the land, water, and pour it on the sacrifice. And they pour the water on the sacrifice. And all he does is worship the Lord and fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifice and the house of Baal is ended in that one moment. If you bring the sacrifice, he'll bring the fire. Because sacrifices demand provision and God answers. It invites the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit into your heart and life to influence outcomes. Luke 12, 49, I came to baptize the earth in fire and how I wish were already kindled. He's talking about the sacrifice. Matthew three eleven that he would baptize you in spirit and in fire. The kindling of the baptism of fire is a laid down life. Second Samuel 24, 24, uh, once again, because of the sin of David, there's a plague on the land. The plague is on the land and then God go, or, or David goes to, to the threshing floor of Arana. He goes to buy the land. Arana says, you won't buy the land, I'm gonna give it to you. David says, I can't make a sacrifice that didn't cost me something. Why? Because David understood the significance of sacrifice. And so he buys the land and he offers to the Lord. And in that sacrifice, a whole plague over a nation is turned away. 
And then you consider 2 Chronicles uh, uh, 7, verse 12. We all love it. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal the land. Don't you guys love that verse? We love that verse. Right before it, the promise is made. I'm giving you authority to heal the land through prayer. But he says this, he goes, because you built for me a house of sacrifice. When rain or when the droughts come, and when the plagues come and when the wars come, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven. His authority and provision was connected to the sacrifice of prayer that was being brought up in that place. Why? A house of sacrifice. Malachi 3.10, you are cursed with a curse. Why? Because you robbed me of, of my tithes and my offerings. But then he says this, bring the tithes and offerings and see if I will not throw open the doors of heaven so wide that so much blessing would come, you physically won't even be able to handle it. Why? Because sacrifice invites the divine influence and power of the Holy Spirit to provide. One of the things uh, my wife and I were, were going through a, it's an awful situation a little while ago and, and we're just going through the, we're in the thick of it. And I remember calling a really dear friend of mine, been in ministry for a long time and, and going through so much hurt and pain and betrayal and loss and blah, all this stuff. I, I called him, I said, dude, I'm going through it. Just give me a word of wisdom. I need something from you. And uh, he goes, let me go pray and I'll call you back in an hour. Well, that night, uh, my wife and I got on the phone with he and his wife and we, we got on a call for like three hours. And... Um, and, and sure enough, he was happening to be going through something exactly similar at the time. And, and one of the things he said to me is he said, Jamie Chan, he said, he said, one of the things that we've learned from years of ministry is this. Wherever there's an impossible situation, wherever there's hurt, pain, betrayal, or loss, wherever enemies have been created, he said, sow into the impossibility. Give away. Give, give, give. Sow, pour in. He said, because of two things. He said, because number one, he said, because giving and sowing will bind your heart to the Father's heart. It will disciple your mind and change the way that you think about the situation. And he goes, but also, wherever there's an impossibility, sacrifice is always answered with power. And my encouragement to us this morning is that if we would open the doors, like if we would create a place of sacrifice in our life, our sacrifice would become a meeting place for the power of God. That it would actually, and I even mean like the micro-sacrifices in your life, micro-sacrifices in your life, tithes and offerings in church, worshiping in church, choosing to turn off the TV to spend time with the Lord, Choose to like, instead of making your family a meal, make another family and eat a meal. Like there's these little moments of servanthood where it's just like, I, I have my own wants and needs and my own comforts that are really valuable to me right now. But if I deny those and give, those micro like sacrifices in our life are, in our life are actually discipling our mind to be aligned to the ways that God thinks. It's doing such a profound deep work inside of you 
Like you could, a sacrifice could literally be, we're not going to have a conversation, friends get together. We're not just going to talk about something stupid today. I'm actually going to be vulnerable and talk about my heart and life and it's uncomfortable. And you knew it was a really sacrificial moment for you to invest the energy to have a really vulnerable conversation with a friend. And, and, but in that moment, the power of God shows up in the sacrifice and does something inside of you that you could not have done in your own strength. Are you guys hearing me? There's, there's a learning how sacrifice works and incorporating it into your life to create a radical generosity in your life that's constantly discipling you to, beca- discipling you to become more like him and attracting his power and his influence wherever you go. There's a reason why like we do something like, you know, some people will, will base their outreaches into a city and their church based upon how many people they get to preach the gospel to. Like we're gonna do, you're gonna do, we're gonna do trunk or treating, right? But it's not worth it unless the gospel is preached to every single person that we have candy to. And I go, time out. What if you just bless your city and sacrifice a portion of your budget to bless your city, create a place of safety and fun and joy, and they come into, and you sacrifice your evening and your time, and you love on them so well. Do you believe that the only power connected to the moment is if you preach the gospel? Or do you believe that your sacrifice of creating a zone will actually cause heavens to erupt and and demons to be throttled and the power of God to come and something will happen in that city where there's influence and favor happening in that city that you didn't have before and blessing and sacrifice is now making a way for Jesus to show up like never before. Oh, you thought that was just trunk or treating. If you've ever spent a second with me, you know it's never just trunk or treating. What is it? It's a divine strategy to love my city so well and to sacrifice the time and resources needed that it changes the atmosphere of a city and its power comes. Are you hearing me? my, My encouragement to us this morning is that we begin to learn the anatomy of sacrifice and generosity. Begin to incorporate it into your life. Some of you are surrounded by some enemies. And the question now is, God, how can I sow? Why don't you guys stand with me?